Thanks for joining us today at City Life. We believe today's message will empower you and point you towards Jesus. But remember that church is so much more than a message you listen to. It's a living, breathing community that we invite you to be a part of. We hope to see you on a Sunday morning at City Life, in person or online. I want to take a minute and introduce myself because I haven't been up here for a while and I may not have have had a chance to meet all of you. Um, I've been part of City Life in some fun little ways since the beginning, but that's a story for another time. But I've been living here um, and loving this church since JD and I got engaged uh, and we're celebrating 18 years this fall. So I have been here for like 19 or so years, which I figured out is about half my life. So half my life. I have been in this church and loving this church. It's a long time. Kind of was, uh, a bit of a realization. And so I've been part of two churches my whole life. And the church that I grew up in is a one that a lot of our team has gone to Bible college at. Uh, where Mike and Monica went to Bible college. And so my, even the church that I grew up in is still a par- big part of my life. And we go back and visit and it feels, like, it feels like a family reunion every time we go back. And there's some people that I've known all my life that are still part of that church. And so I, I love the church. The church has been an important part of my life ever since, well, I'm pretty sure I was like a couple days old the first time I stepped foot in church. But Uh, And also, I've served on almost every team. I figured the only teams I have never served on is sound and lights. (laughs) Everything else I've done. And I started serving as young as I could, and I've never stopped. And I love serving. I love serving behind the scenes, which is why I'm not up here very often. (laughs) I prefer to be behind the scenes. I love, and what I do is I work with our teams. I work with our volunteers and our volunteer leaders to make church great. And that's really my heart is to make church a great place and a place where we can all contribute our gifts and our talents and work together as a team. And, um, you know, as growing up in church, I kind of encountered the church. And if you grew up in church, you probably can relate to this. Is you encounter the church really before you encounter Jesus. And so I, I am well acquainted with the messiness, with the flaws, with the disappointments of church. Uh, in fact, in some ways, that's what I encountered first is some of the disappointments that people see when they uh, come to church. And so I'm not unaware (laughs) of what can be a disappointment or a flaw or mess in church. But I will say that as I've come to know Jesus, as I've yielded my life to him, as I've grown in my relationship with Jesus, I really feel that love for his church, love for his church is in my heart. And I've grown to love the church in really amazing ways. And I, I cry. That's just part of who I am. That's another thing you will know about me. I cry when I pray and I cry when I talk about things that I love. So I love the church and I might cry a bit today, but I'm talking about um, why I love the church. And so one of my life verses is Psalm 8410 and it says, I'd rather, better is one day in your courts than thousands elsewhere. I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than honored in the tents of the wicked. And so this series, Words to Live By, uh, I want to talk about being a doorkeeper. 
So, okay, a long time ago I heard a tip to use your passwords, because you know we always have to like change our passwords and update our passwords and remember a thousand different passwords, to use your passwords as a way to memorize or meditate on something of value to you. Rather than just having it be random, pointless information, have it be something to memorize or meditate on. And so, um, this verse has been part of my passwords for a really long time. And now that I say that, I'm going to have to update my passwords. <laughs> I'm not going to tell you my bank number. <laughs> but yeah, I started this a long time ago to just intentionally remind myself that I'd rather be a doorkeeper. I'd rather be a doorkeeper at the house of my God than anywhere else. There's no place I'd rather be. And you know, in this extended season of crisis, of the season that shall not be named. <laughs> We've been told that gathering together as a church isn't essential. And I feel that we have a very pivotal moment right now. Before we we've come out of a year of empty social calendars and empty activities and not, uh, you know, many activities on pause, I think we have an intentional moment right now where we can ask, what do I want back in my life? What do I see as intentional, uh, as essential? What really matters to me? Do I want to just fill my calendar again with all the activities and all the stuff? Or can I be intentional about what I put as essential? And so many years I've had this conviction that church is part of God's plan for human flourishing. I believe that to the core of who I am. That the church is actually the natural habitat, so to say, of the Christian. This is where we are meant to thrive. That planted in the house is where we flourish. This has been a conviction of mine, but truthfully, in this season, that has been challenged. And I've had to ask myself, do I still believe that gathering as a church is important? And in some time of reflection this summer, I really felt like God asked me, do you still love what I love? And will you continue to serve what I serve? And I didn't answer the question right away, truthfully. I was like, okay, I'm going to mull on this a little bit. But later that day, I went to enter my password. <laughs> I went to enter my password into a website. And I'd rather be a doorkeeper. I'd rather be a doorkeeper than anywhere else. I'd rather be uh, better as one day in your courts than thousands elsewhere. Uh, and in the message, this is even just the wording is so powerful. It says, one day spent in your house, this beautiful place of worship beats thousands spent on Greek island beaches. And those beaches sound good sometimes. But better is one day in your house. I'd rather scrub floors in the house of my God than be honored as a guest in the palace of sin. And if all in, in my hand to do is scrub the floors, oh, I'd rather do it. I would. So, okay. A bit of background on this scripture. Uh, it's written by the sons of Korah. And we don't hear a lot about the sons of Korah. Uh, many of the Psalms uh, are written by David, um, but not all of them. Some are written by Moses and some are written by the, the sons of Korah. So they actually wrote 11 Psalms. So a bit of backstory. Okay, so in the Old Testament, this is long before Christ came. Um, but this is in kind of the, the years where... Israel is being formed as a nation. And so there's this story uh, about the nation of Israel being established. 
as God's people. And well, it is important to know that the nation of Israel is kind of a foreshadowing of the church. And in fact, when the writers of the New Testament talk about the church, they use this Greek word, ekklesia. And the thing to know about the Greek language is it's a pictorial language. And so the picture of the ekklesia, the church, is actually this picture of the people of Israel being called out of Egypt being gathered together as a people, and being gathered together before the presence of God. And so as a church, we've been called out, we've been gathered together, and we come not to just be together, but to be gathered before him and to encounter his presence together. And then God had a purpose for the nation of Israel, and he has a purpose for the church as well. So in this, you know, uh, Setting up of this new nation, God is saying, this is how I want it to be. I want this land for that tribe. I want this land for that tribe. And the Levites are mine. I want them to serve the tabernacle. I want them to serve full time. So they were appointed to take care of the tabernacle, to take care of the Ark of the Covenant. But then of the nation of, or the tribe of Levi, the task of being priests was assigned to the descendants of Aaron. So Aaron and his sons get to be the priests. And they get to encounter God's presence in a very powerful way. They get to actually go into the holy places. But the other clans of the, nation, of the tribe of Levi were also given jobs to do. And so this, the Korah, the, uh, Korah was one of the Koholathites. I don't know if I'm saying that right, but that clan, and they were tasked with taking care of the tabernacle. They were essentially the custodians or uh, the people who would set up and take down and carry. They had a, to carry it on their back. Other people got carts. They had to carry it on their back. And so this group, group of Levites led by Korah rebelled against God's instruction. They were like, we want to be priests. We want to encounter God's presence. We don't want to just carry it around all the time. We want to get in on the good stuff. But God had given them a task to do. And so they rebelled. They thought they were rebelling against Moses, but they were actually rebelling against God's instructions, his design for them as a people. God had given them a purpose to do. Okay, so then this like remarkable and terrifying thing happens. And the, the rebels get swallowed up by the ground. The ground opens up and them and their belongings disappear. Pardon? Just casual, yeah. You know, I think God wanted to reinforce this wasn't just a Moses plan. This was a God's plan. And so the thing is that it is specifically noted that Korah's sons were spared. And so Korah's sons took on the responsibility of their clan to carry. They were doorkeepers, custodians to carry the tabernacle. And during the time of David, they were still known as the sons of Korah, but they were the, the grandsons and the great-grandsons of the sons of Korah. And they had, um, but at that point, become leaders of music in the tabernacle. And so they had 11 psalms. And this one, I'd rather be a doorkeeper. I think they had a revelation that God had a purpose for that place. That even though they might not get to be the priests, they learned from their father's mistake. And they weren't going to gripe and complain about what they couldn't do. They were going to uh, appreciate the honor that God had given them. You know, when I talk about doorkeepers, I'm not talking about bouncers trying to keep people out. That's not what a doorkeeper is. 
You know, thankfully, because of Christ, things are different for us. There is not just a priest or a prophet or a king who can encounter the presence of God. We are all invited in because of what Christ has accomplished. Because of his death, his resurrection, we don't even need a place. We can be anywhere. The church can be gathered in homes or theaters or schools. It doesn't have to be in a building. The church is wherever we are gathered together to encounter the presence of God. So when I think of the doorkeepers, I think of the hours set of setup and preparation and practice. I think of the wonderful people who do scrub the floors and vacuum and clean toilets. I think of the first ones here at 6 in the morning to unlock and turn things on and get them ready for team. I think of the people welcoming you in the parking lot and the people who stand at the entrance they, who are there right now, standing at the entrance, ready to greet someone just in case they come late for church. They don't come to an empty, uh, empty foyer. I think of the people who, who welcome children and hold babies and make kids feel safe and loved so that you can have some focused time with just you and God's presence. I think of the ones that faithfully serve every week but are often encountering the presence of God through the perspective of service to others, rather than sitting in a chair. What a gift. You know, I think anything we do can be seen as an obligation, and it can be draining. You know, work, friendship, marriage, anything can be an obligation, or we can see it as a gift, and we can, and we can have the posture of the sons of Korah. We're just filled with gratitude and recognize that it's just an honor. And that attitude will turn anything from an obligation to a joy. You know, we can serve our family and think, oh, it's so much work. Or we can think, what an honor it is. And I get to experience this. And I'm going to serve with a heart of honor and gratitude and love for the people that I get to serve. And that posture will change anything. I just want to be a doorkeeper. So out of that heart of great humility and gratitude, I want to talk about things that I love about the church. Now I will say, humbly, and recognize that the global church, the historic church, our church, we have made messes. We have got it so wrong from time to time. We have. We don't always get it right. But I still believe Jesus is building his church. And there is so much I am still grateful for, so much that is still an honor to be a part of. I am still convinced that Christ died to start the church and that he gave his life for the church and he's coming back for the church. He is still building his church. And so I want to talk about the things I love today. So one of the things I love is the welcome. We have it on the door, we have it in the signs, but it's also a posture of our heart that, they're, that you are welcome here. When I say church, I'm not talking about a building, but I love that our building is so beautiful and we get to welcome people to a place that we're proud to say, come on in. You know, we can invite our friends and neighbors and they don't just experience a building, but they experience the people that are like, hey, I wanna get to know you. That's such a gift. 
Ephesians 2.19 says, For you are no longer outsiders and strangers. You are citizens together with God's people. You are members of God's family. And in the midst of a loneliness epidemic in our world, I believe the church is the answer. I believe the church is the answer that God places intentionally the lonely into family, into his family. And so we open our church home and we welcome in new friends. And if it is your first time here, we are honored that you're here with us today. I love that we grow together. I'm grateful for friendships and partnerships in the church that have shaped me, that have extended grace to me, that have helped to bring the best out of me. Now, I believe that real life change doesn't happen from just attending services, but it, it, it happens because of relationships that we have. You know, we are all in a process of becoming like Jesus, and it is a process. <laughs> there are weaknesses that I have that I've been working on for a long time, but I know that I'm not, not done yet. I'm not done yet. And we as a people, when we, we do together well, when we extend grace to each other in the process of becoming like Jesus. When we're aware of our weaknesses, we don't try and hide them and overcompensate for them. But we actually see weakness as an opportunity for partnership. Weakness is an invitation for partnership. And I wanted to say, if you see weakness here at the church, um, good, your eyes are open, you see things. <laughs> Uh, but it's an invitation for you to contribute your strengths because we are better together and there are weaknesses because I still believe that there are important pieces of people, important people pieces missing from who we are. And um, Ephesians 4.16 says, as each part does it work does its work, it helps the other parts grow. So Christ's whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. And I love this quote, our greatest wounds come from, the come from relationships, but so does our deepest healing. The risk is worth it. The risk is so worth it. Okay, another thing I love about the church is that we get to have fun together. And if you have only been part of City Life for a short amount of time, this has been a component that we are excited to start again. We're excited to have fun together again. And we have so much fun. I have so many fun memories, serving together and laughing together and gathering together and being who God created us to be. Remember that God said that in his presence is fullness of joy. This is a good thing. We don't need to be stuffy and boring and serious all the time. It's been a serious season, but we're going to move through it. Okay, another thing I love about the church is I love worshiping God together. You know, God is so worthy of our, of our attention and our adoration, but there is something so important, and I've noticed it's pretty essential to my personal spiritual vitality, is being able to worship together, to worship God. Time to just be with Jesus, to be with his people. And I am so grateful for our team that does practice, and, and they place and sing so excellently. Like, we have powerful worship time together, and I love that. But uh, just an outpouring of our love and gratitude for our awesome God. Another thing I love, that I love and I don't love, is, is that we endure together. We endure hard stuff. We grieve together. We, we pray for each other. We go through grief and pain 
And personally, a few years ago, my daughter was in the hospital with a life-threatening skin disease, and I got to experience this in a way that I hadn't before. It's just the partnership together of a church to care for the hurting. And, you know, she ended up being miraculously healed, which is so exciting. And we get to rejoice with those who rejoice, but we also mourn with those who mourn. And we gather together and we pray together and we cry together and we feed each other. And it is a beautiful picture of what the church is supposed to be. You know, I have many friends going through incredibly difficult time uh, circumstances right now. And so we do, we pray together, but we also remind each other that our hope is not in an outcome. Our hope is in Jesus. And even just right now, globally, we think of, I think of our brothers and sisters in the faith, Christians in Afghanistan right now, who are being persecuted. And we hurt with them, and we pray for them, and we, remi- we remember that Jesus is our eternal hope. And many of them might be stepping into eternity even this weekend, and we pray. We pray for God's protection on them, but I also pray that their testimony changes hearts of the persecutors, the onlookers, that their testimony, that they remain strong in the face of persecution. You know, this is what the church is meant to be, to champion each other on and to remind each other that no matter what this life actually brings us, our hope is in our eternal Savior. (sighs) Another thing that I am grateful for (laughs) is baptisms. Baptism Sunday is seriously one of my favorite Sundays all the time, anytime it comes. I love hearing the stories of people who have been changed by Jesus, and yes, I do. I cry every time. (laughs) But there is so much joy in the celebration of this moment. And if you have not been baptized, today might be your day. You know, Jesus himself was baptized. He needed it. You know, he had the purpose and the authority given by God, but it wasn't wasn't until he was baptized that he had the power to do what God had for him to do. That in his baptisms, the heavens were opened, and that's when he started healing and restoring and rescuing and where he had the power to actually go to the cross you know jesus instructed us when you believe be baptized you don't have to overcomplicate it or prepare for it or hype yourself into it you believe be baptized and if you are not ready we actually prepare for you we have clothes you can wear we have hair dryers and hairspray and whatever else you might need to get ready after you get baptized and um, and you could decide to do that today. You know, even in our group devotional, which we have a devotional that we're going through uh, with City Life Online, uh, and you're always welcome to be a part. You can find whatever devotional we're doing on the City Life Online. But this morning's verse on baptisms was Romans 6, verse 4. When we are baptized, we are co-resurrected with Christ, so we can be empowered to walk in the freshness of new life. We need to be empowered to walk in the freshness that, of new life that he has for us. So if you are getting baptized today, I want to invite you to head on back to the back. Dennis and Michelle are going to help uh, gather you, let you know where to go and what to do. 
And uh, they are just at the back. You can just go right on back. Oh, yeah, Dennis is waving. Dennis. You know, I want you to also, if you've been all baptized already, think back. You know, the, the joy that you felt in that moment is meant to be an anchor to keep you in the house of God. Because there is something that was brand new that happened. And if, if you're married, you know you go to a wedding and you hear the vows and it's like, oh, I still love you. <laughs> you know, it's a, it's a good refresher. You know, it's like, oh, remember when we did our vows and we loved each other and now we know all of our weaknesses and we've gone through hard stuff together. You know, or going to a wedding can remind you of the joy of that moment. And when we watch a baptism, it's also meant to do something in us, to remind us of the joy of that moment, to help us get through the hard stuff, to help us persevere, to help us endure, and to remind us of the joy that we felt. You know, joy is meant to be an anchor in your life. That, that um, It's like the, those memories that actually have a, a powerful effect on your emotions in the moment. So remember, even as we're watching the baptisms today, something did change, and God is continuing his process in you. I love kids. I love it when kids love coming to church. And, you know, I love all the stages and ages of just a generational church together. I love grandparents holding babies, and, you know, I just, I love that. But there is something so special to me when the kids come running into church, and they're like, ah! That is so great. I love seeing kids discover gifts and talents and grow into God's purpose that he has for them. And I just want to be like that proud auntie that's cheering them on. It's like, you just go and become all that God has created you to be. And I want to remind you, if you're growing up in the house, there is an important place for you here. We are your people. You have a place here. And you are important to our house. And I love um, kids growing into the men and women that God created them to be. And I think a large part of that is having a community of faith, cheering them on. So let's not weigh them down. Let's cheer them on. I love carrying on the mission of Jesus. This is not just about, church is not just about our gather times. It's also our gather to be sent times. We have a community with a mission to the world that is too big for us to accomplish as individuals. I know I love looking at the metaphors that Jesus used to describe our purpose as followers of Christ. He used salt, light, and a city. Salt. What is one grain of salt going to do? No, salt has an impact together. Light is a spectrum of colors. A city. How many people make up, one, make up a city? It's more than one person, I'll tell you that. You know, God's purpose for us as a church is gathered together, one but many. And I believe that all the good that God intends for humanity, he does through the church. And as I said before, the historical church has made messes, but it has also brought many beautiful solutions to our world. Hospitals universities, so many not-for-profits that care for the widows and the orphans that have brought people out of poverty and into purpose. You know, when the church gets it right, God's power is at work through the church, and we do beautiful things together. 
And I believe that God's kingdom being brought into reality is about us being gathered together and also then bringing God's kingdom to our workplaces, to our schools, to our neighborhoods, serving in our community, loving our family. And when we do that right, love God's love, his goodness is then seen in our world. And it comes out of us in very practical ways. We gather together not to just check church off of some to-do list that makes us good people. Or to get a sprinkling of Jesus on our week. We do it to place ourselves in the body, to remind ourselves that our story has purpose here. That we have a mission in our Monday to Friday. Saturday, that there is a, that we just keep reminding ourselves of where we fit in the story. You know, Jesus said, I will build my church, and I want to be like the sons of Korah that just recognize the incredible honor and privilege it is to play a part in what he is building. I love food. It's another thing about church that I love. I love eating together, and there is so much purpose in sharing a meal, and if you doubt me, search feasting in the Bible. I don't have a chance to get into it right now, but feasting is important. And when we are united around a table, whether that's at home and it's with a giant heaping serving of chaos with, you know, mouths to feed and people sitting on the floor. And I love that. Sharing a meal is so much more than eating. It's sharing our lives. And I, I love it when we can do an event or have a meal together. You know, there is so much work that goes into feeding a crowd. But food is an outpouring of love. And what a gift. What a gift it is to share a meal together. It's one of the reasons why we want to just do these family suppers. It's like, you know what? Everybody just bring what you can contribute. And we're just going to eat together. And God will be glorified in that. I love that we are one in Christ. Jesus' vision for humanity was to restore our relationship with God and with each other. When we come together because of Christ, he is our unity. And in the context, it's in the context of the church that we see how wide, how deep, how great is the love of God. Colossians 3.11 says, There's no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythesian, slave or free, but Christ is all and in all. The barbarians were ones considered uncivilized or uneducated. The Scythesians, I don't know if I'm saying that right, were uncultured and violent and considered inferior. Basically, all the old divisions and wrongful attitudes of superiority and inferiority are demolished because of what Christ has done. We are one in Christ. And I will say in a world that is very divisive on opinions here and there, and there's uneducated people, uh, you know, you see the other as so different than us. But we are one in Christ. And as the church, I think we can model this, that we can sit next to and sit around a meal with people who think differently than you on very important issues. There is a beauty in connecting with people who are different than us and finding similarity in people you thought you were nothing like. Ephesians 2:14 says, Christ himself is our peace. And he has destroyed the hatred that was like a wall between us. On that cross, Christ put to death their hatred towards one another. We don't tolerate each other. We embrace each other. Because 
through the power of Christ, he can make enemies into friends. Because we were all enemies of God. We were all at enmity with God, but he brought us in. And so if Jesus and his church are the only thing we have in common, it's enough. Will you love what he loves? Will you serve what he served? Jesus is our foundation. And I believe that nothing that is done to build his kingdom is ever wasted. Would you stand with me? I love that verse where it says, he has destroyed the hatred that was like a wall between us. He wants to make peace, not only with us and God, although that is such an important part, but between us and each other. He has destroyed that hatred. And Jesus did all that he did, the miracles, his perfect life, his baptism, his sacrificial death, and the power of his resurrection to start something brand new to bring us together. And you know, if you're here today and, and you have not yet said yes to what Jesus has accomplished for you, we're gonna take a moment in just a minute here to pray together. And a, a journey, that journey, that process of becoming like Jesus starts with our yes. Yes, I accept what you've done. Yes, I want to be reunited with God, and I want to be brought back into unity with his house. And then we're reunited to his mission to rescue and restore our broken world. And we bring our strengths together to play a part of bringing his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. Would you pray with me? Would you say, Jesus, I give my life to you. Would you take over? I need a new start. Thank you for rescuing me and restoring me and placing me in your family. I choose to follow you today. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope today's message encouraged you. If you want to take your next step in saying yes to Jesus, you can always contact us at cty.lc slash next step or fill out the next step section on the City Life app. It's an honor to play a small part in what God is doing in your life. We look forward to connecting with you soon.